Welcome back, everyone, to the Go Boldly Brotherhood podcast. I'm Scott Spade. I'm your host, and I'm so excited today about uh, about having Von Juan on on today. Man, just his story and and what you're going to learn today. Um, he was born in St. Croix of the U.S. Virgin Islands and um, raised in the South Side of Houston, Texas. He's got a ministry of music and uh, and career and music and ministry, and um, it's granted him opportunities to be on MTV, Daystar, Fox News, and other other stations. And this man, just so much, so much more to you than than that. I don't want to give it all away. Let's let's dive in, man. Tell me who is Von Juan. Yeah, Von Juan, man, I, I believe uh hard worker, you know, hopefully I believe I'm called by God to um, you know, just just produce and create faith-based media, you know, and, but that, that wasn't something that came, um, right away. You know, it took a journey. It took a journey of me, um, going through some different trials. You know, I was born in St. Croix again, you know, U.S. Virgin Islands. And at a real young age, my father, uh, brought my four sisters, my brother, my mother, and a chihuahua named Brownie. And, uh, we came to the Southeast side of Houston, Texas. And at a young age, around five or six, someone asked me if I wanted to play football. And being from the island, we didn't even know what that sport was. Uh, but I played football that first year and ended up getting the MVP trophy. And that just, you know, kind of spurred um, a life of just pursuing sports. I remember being really picked on as a kid because I had a Caribbean accent. And uh, I, they told us when we went to gym that day, you know, run at your own pace. So, of course, I went to gym. I ran at my own pace. But when we came back, there was a kid named Tim Montoya who ran, who got first place. And everybody in the classroom was kind of circled around Tim and giving them high fives. So I recognized at a young age that, you know, to be in America and to be received, if you ran fast, you would, you know, get the accolades. So as, as you can imagine, a couple of days later at, at gym that day, I got out and, and probably ran a nice Carl Lewis <laughs> S type vibe and, and beat everybody so bad. Um, you know, I got back to the classroom and I was no longer picked on for having the island accent, you know, from that point, everybody kind of was accepting of me. So I, I did that, man, throughout my um, school career, you know, ended up getting into the choir and uh, singing because my older sister did where I met my wife my sophomore year in high school. Um, and we started kicking it since then, man. Now we I can say we've celebrated 17 uh, beautiful years of marriage. But um, getting through high school, of course, running track, played basketball, football, and then my senior year, uh, end up breaking some high school records, uh, long jump, triple jump, high jump, 100 meter dash, 200 meter dash. And that Monday, I got to school and uh, Rice University called here in Houston. And they had never met me, but they heard about the records I broke and what I did. And they offered me a full paid track and field scholarship, you know, up to five years. At that time, 120000 I think it's a lot more expensive now, but at that time, it was a beautiful opportunity. And uh, I was able to stay in Houston. Um, but I was I had started rapping at that time. So my friends I was coming up with off off Edgebrook in the in the hood I grew up in, they had bought a keyboard and a little mixing set up at the house and and we were recording the closet. And so we started this group called the Playboy Click and we were doing shows and concerts. So the music was there. So even as I got out of high school and went to Rice University, um, I always tell people, you know, I have a chapter in my uh in my book shock therapy, it's called Rice on the Side. And basically, I was doing the right thing, but I really, in my heart, was like, man, how do I chase this music dream and become, you know, uh, blow up on the rap side of things? Uh, became All-American at Rice, uh, leaped 26 feet, one inch, 
broke the U.S. Virgin Islands long jump record, um, got an All-American plaque. And and uh, so I just began to, you know, going into my senior year, I was looking to pursue playing football and all these things. Ended up injuring my knee uh, before the 04 Olympics. And that uh, took me down a bad path. You know, I always I tell people I call it post-baller depression. You know what I mean? After that happened. And months after hurting my knee, found out that my father, you know, as we grew up, uh, he was traveling. He was an engineer with General Electric, so he wasn't home a lot. Um, and he, he was in town. He said, man, come to the hospital. Found out that he was um, dying from AIDS, right? HIV positive. And didn't know he had it and only had months to live. So here I am, my senior year at Rice. Um, I've injured my knee. I'm trying to rehab and come back. I'm trying to graduate from a rigorous academic schedule. And I'm going to the hospital every night to, to see my father helping change his diaper. It was just a, a traumatic season for me. You know, all glory to God. I was able to graduate, got my degree in history. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, in, you know, 2005, uh, buried my father. He ended up passing away. Uh, but instead of going back into, you know, jumping into the workforce, I, I continued to chase the music dream. And a lot of guys in Houston at that time, some names people might here, you know, Paul Wall, Mike Jones, you know, Bun B, those guys, they were all, you know, guys were getting these million dollar contracts. So I was pursuing that, but chasing, you know, the dream at that time, it just came with a lot of nights in the nightclub, partying, drinking, smoking. And, and uh, it went from doing those things a little bit, but being so empty from losing my father, losing my sports career that I was trying to fill that hole um, in a lot of wrong ways and uh, uh, end up getting married to my high school, you know, that my wife and, and I ended up having our first daughter. And while she was two months old, I was, I was out there chasing the world, uh, coming home from a concert one night and stopped by the Pearland police here in the greater Houston area, tased multiple times. And I almost lost my life. I was laying on the cement, not breathing. And, uh, you know, my wife laying on the ground trying to tell me to breathe, but, you know, I was at a place where, um, I feel like, you know, I was I was not on my way to heaven. You know, I saw darkness. I saw demon, I saw a lot of negative things. And I began to scream the name Jesus. And as I screamed the name Jesus, um, I began to wake up and God gave me a second chance at life. You know, and they, they picked me up. Uh, they said, you want They asked me if I swallowed any drugs. I said I didn't. They said, uh, do you want to go to jail or the hospital? I was like, take me to the hospital. Right. So they take me to the hospital. Um, I was going choice. to jail. But they tell me, yeah, they ask the question. So I get there and um, I'm handcuffed to a hospital bed, you know, and, and this is November of 2006. So a couple of years out of college, I'm 25 years old. I got a two month old daughter. I just got married that year in July. And, and I'm just sitting in the bed, handcuffed to this bed, trying to figure out how did I go from All-American athlete, Rice University graduate, record breaker to um, on multiple drugs, handcuffed to a hospital bed and it was in that moment when I started I call it night shock therapy right it was it was that that was that wake-up call I needed um to to say I need to be a better husband need to be a better father um get out you know I went to jail that night get out in the morning and uh I was just at that point man a lot of PTSD man I was I was shell-shocked anytime I saw a police officer you know got beat up by four officers almost lost my life and um, slowly started to, to, to try to get my mind right, my heart right, um, but went right back into making those same foolish decisions, right? And I find myself, that was November of 06, I found myself a few months later, um, again, one night about to overdose. And um, I started thinking about the demons I was seeing, I, the blackness, the, the almost dying that whole night. And I realized how stupid, how foolish I was. 
like the Bible talks about, man, how a dog re returns to his vomit. Even after God gave me another chance, I returned back to my vomit. Um, but it was it was that night um, that I said, you know, God, forgive me. Um, I said, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And after I said that prayer that night, it was like my, my, my heart calmed down. I almost felt like I sobered up instantly. Called my wife. I said, I'm coming back home and drove home that night and just at, was never the same. You know, first weekend in April, uh, went to uh, Lakewood. I knew that Joel Osteen always gave people an opportunity to say yes to Christ. Uh, even though I grew up in church, I knew God, but I knew it was time, you know, that to make a change. And I went to Lakewood first weekend in April and I gave my life to the Lord. And, and uh, he has, they were already in the compact center. It was kind of like when they moved, first moved in the compact center. He said, anybody wants to make a decision, stand to your feet. And I literally felt like when I stood to my feet, um, like chains, you know, just kind of breaking off, man, and just crying. Like I knew it was, I was ready to get past chasing this rap dream because the whole trap was, There'd be times I'd want to give my life to God, but in three months we had a big concert coming up or, you know, we were trying to chase this rap dream or there was, you know what I mean? There was always this impending thing. Yeah. And that's how the devil traps you, man. Cause he, he paints these pictures that are really uh, mirages that as you get there, you realize, man, I was, I was holding back on God for all the wrong reasons. But I, I remember we had a show that same night at a nightclub and I walked in like a whole movie scene, like going to tell, like I could have called him and told him I wasn't coming from home, but I went there to tell him, hey, I'm, I'm <laughs> quitting, I'm throwing it in, you know what I mean? All super dramatic. And uh, one of the guys is named Joseph Jones, man. I always remember as I was walking out the club, he said, uh, you'll be back, you know? And it wow. was it was painful that he said that, but it was the best thing he could have said because it was in that moment I was like, Nah, bro, I'll, I'll never be back. And I made a decision. I didn't want to make God look bad. Um, and one thing I want to say is, you know, that night when I was on that street and I told God I'll serve you for the rest of my life, that's the, the similarity I hear with other testimonies um, where guys tell God that they're going to serve them for the rest of their life. And you actually see that impact. You actually see a true heart of repentance. Because um, some guys, they just do it because it, it was emotional day at church. They heard the right song. The speaker got them encouraged. So they made, they, they confessed and believed. Yeah. But when you when you make that commitment that, man, I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. I, I knew on that night that there was no turning back for me. And I, I could praise God that, um, you know, that was 2007. It's 2023, um, almost, you know, 14 years later and still. I'm still sober, still haven't gone back and done any drugs, no backsliding. And uh, I jumped right in. So it's like April, first weekend in April, gave my life to God. Uh, my wife, I didn't know at the time when we met that her uncle was a pastor, that her grandfather was John McDuff of this Southern gospel group called the McDuff Brothers. And they travel all over the world and were on TBN. And they were actually the ones that got Colonel Sanders saved. I mean, crazy ministry history that I had no clue that God had connected me with. And uh, I went to her uncle that was the pastor. I told him about wanting to do some concerts with, you know, hip hop and poetry. And he gave me the keys to the youth room. And he said, hey, man, any young man wanting to do something for God, I'll support him wholeheartedly. And, and until this day, they still support us. I mean, from mission trips that I've taken to TV shows, radio shows, always there. And, and uh, But I started that in ministry. It was called Third Thursdays. And every third Thursday of the month, people would come out. And it went from 60 people to 100 people. So it was like 300 people coming out. And uh, in about three years of kind of doing that, I was offered a youth pastor position. Uh, so then I hopped in the youth ministry for about three years and did that and was successful. But it seemed like, you know, as we would get these kids rolling, they 
keep going home to broken homes and the parents would mess them up again. They'd come back. We'd have to try to fix them again. And I was like, you know, it's, it's time for me to, I need to get to the parents, you know? And uh, I did an event with the church in my community. And when I went to pick up the check, the pastor, Don Norton said, man, I, I think you'd be great um, as an outreach, you know, minister or pastor for us. We want to do a Saturday night event, but our church is white and the community is black. And every time we do outreaches, people show up and we don't look like them. So it was kind of, a, a great opportunity for me. That I told him, I said, I, I can't promise you weekly, but I'm pretty good at doing monthly events. So he was like, well, let's just start off doing monthly. And the same thing, man, 100 people, 200 people, 300 people. And then he said, um, you know, we need to ordain you and your wife. So he ordained me and my wife December of 2012. And uh, we started Legacy Church, man, through their ministry. Did that for about three years and just started growing at a rate where, I knew that as a leader and his leadership, I was, I needed my own space. Uh, but instead of trying to make a church split happen, all that, man, we uh, we fasted, we prayed, and we got a phone call from KSBJ, which was the like one of the largest Christian radio stations in the country. And they had a station called Engine Radio, uh, not, you know, that they wanted to uh, just make a bigger deal about the Christian hip hop. So here I am, a Christian hip hop guy, and now I'm getting an opportunity to buy this $10 million signal and man, we were able to buy the ten million dollar signal. Did the billboard campaign? Did the new app? And for a couple of years, I was at that radio station, just man, reaching my city on a whole nother level with the wow. gospel through music, right? And uh, Hurricane Harvey hits during that time. The whole city's underwater. I don't know if you remember, man. TMZ and everybody else was getting on a Joel Osteen because he wasn't yeah. opening the doors of the church. Man. You know, as we drove down, I apologize for the dogs. As we drove down the road, we'd see, you know, Walmart was closed, Starbucks was closed, but no one cared. All they cared about was the church doors not being open. And that was kind of like me and my wife's Eureka moment. Like, this is our time. We need to step up and uh, reached out to a friend of mine, mentor named Jim Kyles, um, Brandon Barber, guys who had went through an organization called the ARC, Association of Related Churches. Great church planting organization, 94% success rate. You raise 50,000, they match you 50,000, give you another 20,000, you know, when you open your doors to make sure you meet budget. So we had the funds, we had the resources, we had the coaching. And uh, man, when we opened our doors, September 2018, uh, 435 people showed up to that first service. Wow. Man, it was just an amazing launch. And we, you know, for a year and a half, we were at Dobie High School in my community, same area I grew up in, and uh, doing the marriages, the weddings, doing the funerals, doing the quinceañeras. I tell people I'm the black pastor that's done the most quinceañeras, period, right? And uh, of course, 18 months in, March 2020, COVID hits. They say, hey, you got to get out to school. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. And we pivoted. And I think a lot of a lot of pastors, they didn't know what to do or they took that opportunity to to kind of pull back. But we we went from Fellowship Houston to, hey, man, we're going to call ourselves Fellowship uh, um, Worldwide. And, you know, we borrowed churches. We went into music studios. We did everything to stay busy online and actually grew our um, our following online, grew in giving. And it was a win, you know. And, and after six months of kind of bouncing around, um, found this church that had moved out in our community, got in touch with them. Uh, we were able to take over that building, started renting for about a year and a half, and uh, they wanted to sell it. They wanted a million dollars for it. Young church was still like three years old at this time, but I'm like, hey, how much you need? The bank is like, man, we need a quarter million down plus a certain amount in the bank. 
So long story short, I go to a church called Sagemont, which is a huge mega church in our area. They used to come around our neighborhood when we were kids with these little white buses and pick us up and take us to the church and used to give us little, little white powdered donuts on the bus. And uh, <laughs> they've got this huge white cross. And I tell people, everybody talks about uh, the big white cross, but all I remember is the little white bus and the little white donuts they used to give us, you know? And uh, that was part of me coming to the Lord. So it was just crazy. I full circle walked in. I told the pastor, hey, man, we need about 200000 Um, You know, if not, I'm just going to go share the building with my wife's uncle. And he was like, nah, he said, I think this will be a pretty cool God story. Let me get with you next week. Um, man, he called me the next day, said, hey, man, we're in. Brought me and my wife and the kids on stage. Said, hey, let's raise a quarter of a million dollars for these guys. And in one day, they raised $330,000. No, they raised three sixty. They raised three hundred sixty thousand, and they gave us three hundred thirty thousand dollars of that. And uh, so we were able to pay off a lot of our debt, put a quarter million down, purchase the building. So now we own our own building. Um, you know, uh, sitting on three acres, seven hundred, uh, you know, seventy seventy five hundred square foot building. And uh, man, we're still running. We're back to our pre COVID numbers, attendance wise. Uh, we're about to build another building on the property. Uh, start our own Christian preschool within that. A lot of cool things happening right now with the organization called Neighborhood Kids. And man, the wife and I, again, just we just took a five-week sabbatical. I'm actually on week four. I have one more Saturday, Sunday weekend off. And, uh, you know, so that's where I'm at right now. Just God told me to kind of slow down, pull back so that we can get ready for this next season, you know, building this new building. Um, but it's been beautiful, man. Four kids. You know, my daughter now that was two months old when I got tased. She's 16. She's driving. Son, 15. Another son, 13. Youngest daughter, 11 years old. And uh, just got off our first cruise, feeling great. God is blessed. Oh, I dedicate that and all to just obedience, man, and the grace of God um, that he saw fit, you know, to use me and uh, just to help lead people in this community. I'm excited to see what this, uh, what this next season looks like. Wow. That is, man, that is just absolutely powerful like it's you know people that people that launch churches typically they struggle they 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 have a hard time finding volunteers and and you know some make it some don't and yeah. uh and it's it's absolutely amazing we um we've been a part of a church launch that launched about a year ago here in Pensacola area and um called the voyage church and they're part of the destiny group and nice. You know, they're running 400 and something on Sunday mornings after um, after a year and wow that's big time. meeting in, meeting in a meeting in a in a middle school now it started out in a elementary school cafeteria and now they're meeting in a middle school and, and it's just it's so fun to see what God can do you know when when and I think the key word here um obedience uh, I, you know so 2020, I was, I'm a chaplain in the Army Reserve. 2020, I was deployed. I went over a week and a half before COVID shut everything down. I went over to uh, to Kuwait. I was headed to Kuwait, Jordan, and Egypt. And uh, was going to be gone for 30 days. Got stuck for over six months. And, you know, didn't know if I was coming home. And wow. I was, I was, Every night we were watching Governor Cuomo from New York on CNN on the and the on the TV in the dining facility and everything was bad. You know everybody was dying, mm. and we had 
two ventilators on this base for 7,000 people. Wow. And I'm thinking, you know, as an officer, they're going to let us die before they let these 20 year old kids die. I mean, they're just, you know, and didn't, didn't think I was coming home. And, and I remember walking the track one night because the gym was closed. All the local restaurants on the base were closed. I mean, we, you know, it was just as bad as it is here. And I heard God say, um, I need men to be bold. And the verse in Genesis 12, 1, where God told Abram to go to the land that he would show him. Um, he didn't tell him where he was going to go. He didn't tell him what to do. He said, I'll go to the land that I will show you. And that just hit me hard that, you know, I think God, God's telling men today, be bold, faith, family, and leadership. Go, be willing to go where I show you. And don't, don't sit and wait for me to give you all the answers right now. Just be willing to go, be obedient. And that's when I started the Go Boldly Mastermind groups of just small groups of men coming together weekly to be held accountable, to talk, to be coached, to be mentored, you know, to get vulnerable. That's awesome. We, we men don't like that, you know, it's, no. it's <laughs> and, and it's, that's where I am at in, in my, my ministry outside of the military right now, that and training men and women to be chaplains. Um, but I think that there's such a need for men to stand up and be bold. And, you know, I think there, there's, there's a need for women to have their man stand up and be bold. These wives want their men to be, to be bolder and to take responsibility and to, to be obedient. I agree so, with you. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's what I'm focused on right now is, is creating that opportunity for um, guys all over the world just to come together one hour a week on zoom and just be, be bold and, and live out their faith. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things our, our pastor always says, he goes, you know, we're not building a faith of Sunday morning. We're building a faith of Monday through Saturday. Right. And, you know, I just think that's so powerful that too often we, we go to church on Sunday and then the rest of the week is just whatever happens, happens. But when we're focused on, that faith on Tuesday, that faith on Wednesday, that's good. That faith on Thursday, you know. And for some of these, for some of these cats, that faith on Saturday night when you're wanting to go out to the club, you know, what's that? What's that look like? And uh, so you've been there. You you know what that's what that's like. Yeah, I think for me, just making the decision to, you know, I'm I'm I tell you, I'm not in this position because I'm so good. You know, I'm, I'm in this position because I, I need God so much. I need to be, I don't even want to straddle the fence or be close to the line. I'm, I'm better off just, let me get all the way over here and just be a pastor. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it, I tell people, you know, preaching is the 45 minutes on stage each week. You know, there's some great preachers out there. And there's a lot of people that want to preach, you know, that want to get on the stage. And uh, But yeah, that's, that's the 45 minutes on stage each week. Pastoring is the six days. 23 hours and 15 minutes off stage each week. You know what I mean? Those phone calls in the middle of the night, you know, yep. having to get to the hospital, you know, that this person needing to pay to pay a bill. You know, right now we've got a guy from, from Sri Lanka, you know, that we're working on him getting the citizenship and getting his visa and making sure he can get back in time by this done, though he's going to lose. So it's like, that's added pressures. I already have a wife and four kids. We already have 
uh, house mortgage, home, you know, church mortgage bills. But, you know, at the same time, you know, three, four hundred people that that there's a weight as a leader, um, you know, that we have to carry. But, you know, I think God God gives us the the strength to carry whatever mantle he, he puts there. And I think men um, need to do the same thing. There's a pastor named Jeff Little at Milestone Church and, he's, and he has a book, I call things called Win at Life. And he does the same thing you're talking about, just gets gets a, a group of about 10 to 12 high level leaders, you know, what I mean, men in the community that um, they, they run their businesses, they run, um, you know, they're, they're high level execs. So not they don't have people telling them what to do. You know, what I mean, okay. so these guys that it, it takes a lot to sit down and to be humble and to have somebody pour into them. But um, he's seen more fruit from those relationships than many of the other things that he's done. So that's why he's encouraging more pastors. So I definitely would love to know you know, what kind of curriculum you use and, and some of the angles you've taken to help, you know, pour into some of these guys that, that we have in our ministry. Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the things that I that I really focus on with these guys is every week there's two guys that get to be man in the middle. And they get to bring whatever they want, need to the group. If it's coaching, if it's mentoring, if it's just to to divulge a sin, if it, whatever it may be, and no judgment. And they get they get this guy, this group of, of, you know, board of directors, these, these just to coach them, mentor them, come around them and go, Hey, we've all been there. Absolutely. You know, we, we've done this and we've done that. And, and, you know, they get to walk away without this feeling of judgment because church is full of judgmental people. I mean, it's, you know, I'm working on a doctorate right now in counseling and I had to do a, an article, do a, a discussion post on, on some pastors, those four or five articles on different pastors that have um, been terminated mm-hmm. due to, you know, uh, Menlo Park and, um, you know, different different churches out there. And it's just amazing that some people can find their way back and others can't. And, and it's the people, the, the Christians, that are sometimes the most judgmental. And holding holding some of these people back, you know, from doing what God's calling them to do, whatever whatever it is, and uh, and it's just it's just amazing to me. Yeah, definitely been you know watching some of that uh, Hillsong uh, documentary online and just seeing you know different perspectives and and for us, I mean, we have to remember grace. We have to remember how we were called and uh, yeah. where we came from. You know, who's, who's the one who's forgiven much. Love as much, and I think that's the the difference between um, how people approach Christianity, how they approach the gospel, and how they approach how they treat people. You know what I mean? And and that's why some guys um, like us, hey, we planted our church in our community, you know, where we grew up, and and some people target uh, the zip codes with the with the most income when they plant a church because it's a different agenda. So it it all it all starts with your heart, you know, and who you. Um, who you're called to reach. I think, you know, the, the style of ministry we have, um, you know, I, I've always I, I had to ask God, like, why do we do ministry this way? Why don't we have the flags? And, you know, why are we, you know, super charismatic at times and things like that? And God showed me that, you know, whoever you're called to reach, um, the culture you have at your church, culture draws. And whatever culture people see is going to bring people in. So as a pastor, as a leader, um, you have to create a culture that will draw the type of people in that God has called you to reach, that there's people um, that you are assigned to, you know, and those people should be um, tapped into the DNA of, of who you are as a leader. Um, so for me, you know, someone who 
smoke weed all the time, partied all the time, you know what I mean? And and former athlete, you know, all these things that, that make me and help me become who I am is who I need to reach. Because what does the Bible say, right? We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So how am I going to allow someone to overcome that uh, I'm not called to reach? Or I don't have the DNA um, or the, the power inside of me to reach those people. So, yeah. you know, I definitely, um, I'm glad we have a ministry that when people walk through our doors, they say they feel love. They feel like, oh, I've gone other places. People have looked at me a certain kind of way, treated people a certain kind of way. So one thing I believe that's unique about, not unique, but special about Space City Church is we do have pastors that have been there, that have done that. You know, we're not, you know, we're not sitting there looking down at people. Um, we're, we're there to lift people up and, and give them a second chance. And uh, we, we have a ton of baptisms. I mean, you know, I think our last baptism Sunday, 20 plus people. And uh, it was it was amazing. You know, we'll do it again at the first of the month. And so, yeah, just trying to fulfill the Great Commission. And, and uh, you do ministry in a style that lines up with kind of where we came from, you know, with the hip hop and all these things. You know, what's funny about that is or ironic, I guess, is that there's going to be people that are going to judge you from your past and be like, well, you know, I'm not going to that church because of. But then there's those that are going to look at it and go, he's. He was where I am, and I want what he has now. Absolutely. And, I did I did a promo that said, hey man, if you if you're looking, you know, kind of Jedi mind trick, hey, if you're looking for a church where you know you want the pastor in a three-piece suit, man, this this is not the church for you. If you if you're expecting two-hour services and man, this is not, don't come to our church because it's not for you, basically. And you know, but if you're looking for it, so it was able to just we know who we are. I think that's what that's what makes us special. And, you know, got, you know, one of my mentors that um, in the midst of their ministry, they had a fall. Um, but their wife, him and their wife, they reconciled and their, their ministry is doing better than ever. But one thing that he said significant in his book, he said, you know what, what I did, the mistake I made, um, it disqualifies me from being certain people's pastor. Um, but those same mistakes in the same life qualifies me to be certain people's pastor. Right. So Amen. the main thing is transparency, being real about your past and your journey um, so that people can know who you are, so they know what they're signing up for and uh, that they can be in alignment with, you know, the assignment that God has given you as a leader. And for me, I'm, I'm unapologetic about my assignment. I'm unapologetic about the vision God's given me and how we're supposed to do church. And, um, you know, if it's not for you, man, I'm telling you, it's okay. Like there's 4,000 something churches in Houston. Um, but man, if if this is for you and you know what we have, the DNA we have, and our culture, if it's for you, man, you you'll find a place at home, and uh, you'll find a place where you want to serve. You know where you want to where you find transformation, um, and you walk out different. You know what I mean? And, and you'll enjoy showing up on Sunday. So um, just it. excited. You know, we turned five years old in September, and uh, just believing for you know amazing things moving forward. So five years ago, four years ago, I was going to school in, in uh, at Fort Hood, working on my second master's degree in counseling. And my best friend going through the program with me, um, all-American basketball player, six foot something tall. I'm short. I mean, we were like Mutt and Jeff, you know. It, but black guy, hist different history than my history. And I got invited to uh, an all-black church in Georgia to come preach. Nice. And so I called him. I said, Brian, I said, what do I need to know? What's, you know, what's, he goes, eat before you go. It's going to be a long day, buddy. 
And I said, what? He goes, eat before you go. Because the church started at three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. I didn't go on stage until six. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. I, re- I realized then. But here's a couple things that I had never experienced true worship until that night. Wow. Like that, to me, they left it all on the line. Mm. And true you know, I grew up Southern Baptist where you, you read the, you you know, sing the hymnal and you sit down and, and that just something about that night was absolutely, I've been back three times now since then wow. to speak. And uh, he, my buddy was, was pastoring a small all white church in, in Waco, Texas. And I called him up that night and I said, look, you went white. I'm going black. We're, we're just going to, we're just going to switch this up. Switch it up. I'm done with the, I'm done with the white church. I said they they don't know how to worship, and uh, so we've laughed about that over the years. But absolutely amazing, just the just the worship and the meaningfulness and and the acceptance that I felt that night, you know, and um, just work how God just continues to. I mean, this is just a small. This woman started this church and it's just grown and God's used it and God's done amazing things. And um, I always love when I get a text message from her, when are you coming back? So yeah, that's I, awesome. Yeah. I loved it, man. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I just think that um, God used, and she's got a past, you know, and, and, and I think when, when we allow God to use our past, it creates those opportunities just like your buddy in that book. And it's just, it opens doors. And so I think sounds like you're right where you need to be in spite of being an all American and, you know, athlete growing, growing up. So. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Man. How can, how can somebody reach, you know, listen, are you online your messages online and tell me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, of course, YouTube, Facebook, space city church. Um, that's part of the reason we changed from fellowship Houston. There were so many fellowships out there. You know, even when you Google it, you you find a million churches, but there's only one one Space City Church. So, uh, you know, Facebook.com, YouTube, also Space City, you know, uh, VaughnOne.org, uh, iTunes, you know, all the all the platforms as far as the music side. The music ministry is doing great. You know, been able to, you know, be on Billboard, you know, work with, you know, major artists, Scarface and, and guys like that, Lecrae on the Christian wow. side. So I uh, work with Grammy Award winning artists and, and, uh, the music is something I really want to get back to. You know, my kids are doing music now and uh, a lot of a lot of people in the church, most of the people that are signed to our record label also are part of the ministry and really look oh. forward to creating this Space City worship sound. You know what I mean? And, and of course, it's everyone, you know, has ambitions to be a Maverick City, to be um, on that level. But I, I do feel like we do have something to offer when it comes to worship and just urban and, and unique and, and with our culture. So. I'm hoping we can get in the studio soon and, and start producing the sound that uh, will give people a, a, a unique, a new feel on the worship side. Man, of I'm, that's awesome. And I look forward to seeing what God does in the future with you, man. I think that's just, it's just going to continue to grow and reminds me of the Brooklyn Tabernacle that, you know, God took something, a drug infested location and turned it into something amazing. So My God. Um, I look forward to seeing what God does with you, man. Man, it's so, been a, an absolute pleasure to have you on. I look forward to, to meeting you in person one day. Absolutely. Whenever you're in Houston, reach out to me. Let's definitely link up. We'll do it, brother. Thank you for coming on. I look forward to to the future. God bless you. Appreciate the opportunity.